0: So as a community, we've had lots of celebrating recently, which is really good. We've celebrated a new year, celebrated a new building, celebrated last week eating the kids down in their classrooms for the first time. Among us, we've celebrated some new pregnancies, new babies on the way. Yesterday, we celebrated Alexa getting married to Ben. So they are now officially married and on their honeymoon. It's a lot to celebrate. But in our greater reality community, our greater Olympia, Thurston County community, there's also been a lot of hard things, too. I'm not sure if you're aware what's been going on at Olympia High School. In the past month or so, there have been two deaths, apparently suicides. A 16-year-old baseball player who went by solo an 11th grade running start student named Isaac so if if you can imagine a lot of the teachers principals grief counselors are running around trying to check in on the high school students of Olympia high school are they are you okay do you have someone to talk to so anxiety is still high right depression is still real Those of you who are married, marriages still struggle. Some of you have specific friends or loved ones who are making choices, and you're having to react and respond to their choices, and you're trying to walk that balance of grace and truth, and it's hard. Polarization hasn't disappeared. The next election cycle is upon us again international conflict remains. So there's stuff that goes on, hard stuff that goes on in life. So no matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter what era of human history you live in, there are three questions, I think, that always remain relevant. Who is God? It's a good question to ask, who is God? does he exist is there even a god and if so what would he be like who am i who who am i am i a cosmic accident do i have any meaning is there any purpose in my life we're all pursuing identity belonging purpose how do i even know who i am And then in light of those other questions, like who's God, who am I? And then how do I live? How shall we live? I think those questions are asked in various ways by everybody in all cultures, in all eras. So open up your Bibles, if you have one with you, to two places, and you stick a finger or a piece of paper in one in Genesis chapter 11. We'll get back there soon. And then second place, open up to Exodus chapter 3. So we're going to start a new series today. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 is a moment of intense encounter. So in the middle of a barren wilderness, like on the backside of nowhere... God encounters a man by the name of Moses. And he does so by using a burning bush. So at this time, at this era, Israel is enslaved in Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh. And this guy Moses, who is a Hebrew, also had been born in Egypt. He had spent the past many years keeping his father-in-law's sheep in relative obscurity. So Israel's struggling in slavery, Moses has fled and left, basically hidden, and God shows up. This is what happens out of the blue, a surprising God encounter, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Again, so much could be said about that moment, about this encounter, about God showing up in the middle of nowhere, or about Moses' curiosity to notice, like, hmm, there's a bush. It's on fire, but it's not burning. I will turn aside to look. And there's this curiosity there to pay attention and notice and then to pursue that and not just walk on by. So all that is significant. God tells Moses to take off his sandals. He says, this is holy ground. But most importantly, why I come to Exodus 3, I want, I want you to pay attention to the introduction. Look at the next verse, Exodus 3, verse 6. This is God speaking. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Pay attention to the introduction. God gets Moses' attention, so amidst this burning bush, and he's freaked out, His knees are knocking. He is afraid, he's in fear, He doesn't know what to do. And God tells Moses who He is. This is what he says. He says, "I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob." Then in verse seven, he goes on, and he tells Moses more. He says, "I've heard your cry. I've heard the cry of my people. I know that they're enslaved. And then God tells Moses that he's seen their oppression, he's heard their cry, and then the big reveal of the whole encounter is that God then says to Moses, guess what, you have been chosen, I've chosen you, you get to be the one to go to Pharaoh, you are the one who get to lead my people out of slavery into freedom, a one-man rescue operation against one of the biggest superpowers on the face of the earth. Can you imagine being Moses in that moment? Oh, yeah. He, like, he went from tending sheep in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness to noticing a burning bush to now being told who this God is and that he is going to send him into Egypt to set his people free. Don't let the story get too familiar. It's a shocking story. Moses has questions, right? As I would. He's got lots of questions. And at the top, near the top of his list is verse 13. He's like, "Um, and who are you again? Who Who do I say that you are when I go, when I leave this little shepherding gig I have and I go back into Egypt and I tell them that you've sent me, who do I say sent me? Verse 13, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses is thinking this through. This is going to be problematic. There's more of an encounter here, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord... The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So I've read this story a lot, just being candid. I've read this story since I was a little kid. I remember Bible stories, little kids' Bibles, flannel graphs, Sunday school stories of this story. I've preached this many times before. But in recently reading this, something struck me again. Just again, paying attention to how God chooses to identify himself. So yes, this is the first time he explicitly identifies as Yahweh, like the covenant God. But twice in this passage, verse six, again in verse 15, God says, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. So in this moment of commissioning, in this moment of encounter, in this moment when uh, God is telling Moses, I want to use you to go set my people free, lead them out of slavery forever, all through the history of the world. This is what God says. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. And he says it twice. He says that when he first meets him, he reveals his name as I am the great I am Yahweh. And then he says, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. and it's not the only place that that uh, it shows up in the bible acts 3 13 uh, in the new testament after jesus came died rose again ascended peter is (laughs) preaching at solomon's portico and a part of his sermon he says the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob the god of our fathers glorified his servant jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. So as Peter's preaching his sermon in Acts 3, this is the name he uses. This is the God of Abraham. It's the God of Isaac. It's the God of Jacob. And then Jesus uses this phrase too in his ministry in Matthew Matthew chapter 22, verse 32. Again, there's this whole conversation going on with him and the Sadducees about resurrection and a whole bunch of other things, but he says at the end, uh, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. So I just would say, I think it's fair to say that God doesn't mind identifying himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Yes, he is Yahweh. He is the great I am. But this God is the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. And you're like, why are we talking about this in 2023? Might I suggest that it goes a long way toward answering some of the questions that all human beings have been asking. Who is God? Who am I? Like, how do I live? How shall we live? God is the God of Abraham, he's the God of Isaac, he's the God of Jacob, which I would say has really massive implications for us as followers of Jesus. So today, if you haven't picked up on the repetition, we're starting a new series called The God of Abraham, (laughs) Isaac, and Jacob, because what we're going to do in 2023, amidst some other series, we're actually going to do this series broken up in three sections— but we're gonna take a look at the lives and the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're gonna go from Genesis chapter 12, a little preamble into it, but Genesis 12, basically through Genesis 35. And we're gonna take a look at their story. Who are these three ancient figures? Why does God identify with them? And what in the world would that have to do with us? So today, I'm more setting this up for us And we'll get more into Genesis chapter 12 next week. And hopefully it'll become more and more clear over time why we want to spend time with these people and their families over this year. But hopefully you'll come to see it as we go through this. So the story of Abraham, the story of Isaac, his son, the story of Jacob, his son, emerges in the book of Genesis chapter 11. That's why I had you stick your finger there. And that's when Abraham, or at that point his name is Abram, or Avram in the Hebrew, shows up on the scene. And I know that some of us, again, you know, we're 2023 Olympians, Americans. Many of you are familiar with these stories. Maybe you've heard these characters before. Uh, but I don't think we can ever be reminded enough about this story. So let me set a little context that sets the stage for for what this is, what this is about, and what we'll be doing in the weeks to come. So, Genesis chapter one. Don't worry, I'm not gonna read all of Genesis one or three or four or six or 11. But I wanna remind you of the storyline. Genesis chapter one, the world is created by God in the beginning as good, 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 very good. The story of the world starts in Genesis one. It doesn't start in Genesis three. It starts in Genesis one. And there's a good God who has made a good world. And he created Adam and Eve. And he put them in the garden with himself to tend and to keep his good world. That's where, as we begin to orient our lives, who is this God and who are we and how do we live? We gotta remember our story begins in Genesis one with a very good God making a very good world and placing us in his world, inviting us to tend and keep his world. like That should help orient us in the midst of our lives, our work, our families, our friendships, our neighboring. Then Genesis 3, sin enters the world. Things start going off the rails. Adam and Eve sin. They rebel. They choose their own way. They eat of the tree that they're forbidden to. And from there again, things start to unwind. Shame, hiding, blame, finger pointing, covering, curses, distortion, relationships getting broken. If you wanna understand our world, you have to understand this story. Genesis 1, where it starts, but also Genesis 3, where it falls apart. Then it gets worse. Genesis 4, rivalry in families, murder, lies. Genesis 6, corruption, wickedness, deceit. Things get so bad, it says in Genesis 6, verse 5, It says that Yahweh, the Lord, saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So as sin begins to unwind and unravel, things get so bad. Things get so bad that we're told that it caused God to regret making humanity on the earth. And it grieved God's heart. And so this flood happens really as a way to contain the mess that humans have made. All the way then to Genesis 11, next slide, to where we see humanity then trying to build a tower because they want a name for themselves and they don't want to go where God told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and they want to make a name for themselves and so they build this tower to the heavens. So again, I know that's skipping a lot. I know that's trying to cover a lot of ground. But this much is clear as we come to Genesis 11 and the stories that follow is that God is responding to sin and God is responding to the mess of the world. God is responding to the abundance of sin that is ruining his good creation. And things have gone from good to bad to worse. And maybe you can relate to that in your life where things have gone from good to bad to worse, and you're like, well, what is going to happen here? How do we make sense of this? How do we live in this world? Again, who's God? Who am I? How do we live? But I just want to note that ever since human rebellion in the garden... We've been living in dark and destructive times. I know the catchphrase of like 2020 on has been that we're living in unprecedented times. How many times have you heard that, that we're living in unprecedented, we are living in unprecedented times. I've said that many times. This is unprecedented times. And yes, but read a little history. This world has been a messed up, broken place with things like this for a long time. So yes, it's unprecedented in that we are living through things that maybe we haven't before. But when you get a sweep of the storyline, like, yeah, things were pretty bad back then too. Like so much so that God's like, yeah, I gotta send a flood. Sin, rebellion, flood, babble. Who's this God? Who are we? How is God going to respond to the difficulty that we have created in our world. He does send Christ. But he doesn't send Christ right away. But I will tell you this. He responds to the sin and brokenness of our world. Again, I don't want to spoil the ending. But he does through blessing. Blessing. This is part of the early storyline of Genesis. This is part of the early storyline of our world, is that God makes human sin, but God still blesses. And how does he bring blessing into the mess of the world? And again, we're going to get there in the series to come here, but through people. How does God respond to sin and mess and destruction? He does it by blessing. How does he bless? He blesses through people. More specifically, he chooses to bless through a family. So God finds a new Adam and Eve, and he orchestrates a new return to the garden, and he orchestrates a restoration of what has been destroyed. This is really important for us to make sense even of our present moment. This is important for you to know is that God isn't afraid to deal with your sin. God isn't afraid to deal with messes. God specializes in brokenness. He doesn't look at the world and go, ooh, and run away. Rather, he has a tenderness and compassion toward the mess and the sin, and he enters into it. And he uses people to bring his blessing. He uses families to bring his promise to fulfillment. And yes, that promise is Jesus. That fulfillment ends up in Christ. But the line through which the redemptive story happens is through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God identifies with them. And God brings Messiah-laced blessing to all the families of the earth through a family. And again, many of you have heard, I know Abraham, Father Abraham, many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, so are you. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they become almost caricatures. They become stories and Sunday school songs that we just put away. I just want you to revel in the fact especially as we press into their stories is that God rescues, God blesses not through perfection but through broken imperfect people. That's what you're going to find in the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Not a perfect person, not perfect people, not a perfect family. But he, you find a bunch of people that wrestle with life just like you and I do. Here's a, here's a sneak preview of some of the stories to come. Next slide. Trials, testing, waiting a long time a super long time like a hundred years long time sacrifice obedience these stories these families have sinned boneheaded blunders like repeated boneheaded blunders repeated boneheaded blunders by parents and then their kids too Family fighting, sibling rivalry, marital challenges, infertility, temptation, comparison, fear, insecurities, doubt, dreams. I'm telling you, the Bible is relevant to our lives. This is the stuff we live. Who is God? Who are we? How do we live? How do do you do this stuff? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will let us know. God brings blessing to the world through a family who is willing to follow imperfectly in the footsteps of faith, but they're following a very faithful God who meets them right where they are. And in the weeks to come, we'll dive into some stories. You're going to discover the highs and lows of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Rachel. We'll learn about Lot, Ishmael, Esau, Laban, all sorts of people and storylines. But I think it helps color in what does it mean to be a people of faith? What does it mean to follow God? You know, we are following Jesus, yes, but even learning from these Old Covenant characters and people, we've got a lot to learn from them too. So welcome to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As I was praying over our church for this new year in our new space, one of the words I heard from God was an invitation to a new beginning in the ancient way. So it's a new beginning, there's lots of newness to us, but this stuff isn't new, it's a new beginning in the ancient way that has been happening for a long, long time. The ancient way of faith, the ancient way of the people of God, the ancient way of the followers of Jesus. Figuring out what does that look like for us to do that here and now, in 2023. So as we continue to explore the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just some things that may be important for us to know, That the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is more relational than transactional. God is not afraid to be identified with people, to bear their names. That is crazy to me to think that He is the God of all creation. He is Yahweh. He is Jesus, Father, Son, and Spirit. But that He would take on this name, that He would say, This is who I am. I'm the God of Abraham. And he binds himself to Abraham's life and story. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. Isn't it mind blowing that God would take on the name of anyone? The God of Kyle, the God of Josiah, the God of Heather, the God of Steph that he would take on relationship. God is a relational being. Our relationships flow from him. And sometimes we tend to think of God in in terms of just transaction as like a cosmic vending machine. Prayers in, solutions out. Confession in, forgiveness out. Faith in, salvation out. But there's this God who knows and relates by name. Be willing to be called for centuries now, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The God who relates by name. He wants to relate to you by name through the work of Jesus. Also, God is more specific than abstract sometimes it's easier to deal in abstractions and yes he is spirit and he rules over all time and space but as we learn these stories we come to discover a God who really does care for the intimate details of our lives and he deals in specificity the God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob specific people specific places specific times He cares about marriages and land and children and inheritance and promises and covenants and heartache and birthrights and blessings, singleness, pains, joys, celebrations. He cares about the details. In fact, in this story, we'll come to find he's also called the God who sees. He's the God who sees you. He wants to know you by name, in relationship, in the specifics, because there's nothing you are walking through right now that he doesn't care about and know about. He's also the God about redemption. It's all about redemption, not merely perfection. Or maybe you could say that he specializes in handling the greatest messes. Because many of us have these visions again of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as heroes of the faith. Sarah, Rachel, Rebecca. And yes, he is a God who identifies with the people and he identifies with the family and he somehow chooses Abram and Isaac and Jacob. But this Abram gets afraid. Abraham lies about his wife. Kind of a half lie. Calls, it's my sister, to save his neck. Sarah laughs at the promises of God. You're going to have a baby. (laughs) Ha ha ha, baby. You got to be kidding me. She laughs at God. Isaac does the same wife sister thing that his dad did. Jacob, his name means surplanter, heel grabber. The dude's a snake. He's always manipulating. He's trying, he's covering his tracks. He's working the angles. He's trying to figure out what benefits him. In terms of the Genesis storyline, he's a whole lot more like the serpent than he is like God. God. And it's not to say that they're devoid of any goodness or beauty that would be going too far and there are reasons why god picks this family and why he chooses abram to kick this off but if you want to know anything about the god of abraham and isaac and jacob then get ready to know this the god redeems the mess he brings light into darkness he isn't scared off by our blunders and while sometimes it takes a long time for it to come to fruition, you need to know that God's redemptive promises never fail. He always keeps his word. God is the God of the living, not the dead. And he is looking for partners who will share in his good rule and reign over his world By faith, imperfect people following a perfect God, a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. So the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can be our God too. Their story is our story. And there's an invitation for us to say yes as well. Let's pray. So, Lord, I know that our lives are are filled with so many things. And some of them are really beautiful things. Some are really good things. Some are very celebratory things. Lord, our lives are also filled with a lot of pain, challenge, mistakes, blunders, trials, testing, places where we're trying to figure out if we're going to be obedient or not. So, Lord, we just offer this next series to you, this season to you. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to figure out how to be faithful followers of Jesus. We want to discern how to walk in the ways of faith like others have before. Lord, may we be willing to say yes to you. May we be willing to trust you. And we celebrate the the offspring, the line, the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus, who gives us everything. So God, I pray for those who may be in the room today. Some may that not, not, not yet know you, but I pray that they would come to discover more about who you are in this season. Or may there be a rediscovery of who you are. Open our eyes and ears. as you wanted to know us by name, too. You desire to know the details of our story and engage those places. God, I pray for those who are feeling hopeless, discouraged, distraught, tired, weary. May they find you drawing near and inviting them close. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.